I'll never forget the day that we moved. My wife and I had been living in a one-bedroom apartment in a really bad part of town since the day that we got married. This apartment was cramped, it was tiny, and it was in a tired old building, and there were bugs, super obnoxious neighbors. To top it all off, there was a gang-related shooting on the block. It It was like a hit. That was pretty bad. That freaked us out, and when that happened, we decided that it was time to move. So we looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and finally we found our house. And those of you that are newly married or searching for your first home, you know how stressful this search is. So we scraped some money together and we we got it. We got approved for the mortgage and we moved in. The house was old. It was really small, but it was ours. So much changes when you move into a new house. When we changed homes, to be honest, we felt like we changed our lives and we felt life had breathing room and there was more peace and we were more relaxed and our marriage even improved. We still had the same jobs, the same family, and my wife was still married to me. But a simple switch of address changed everything for us. This is the power of the home that you live in. Your home serves as a safe place for you to view and venture out into your world. Your home interprets the outside world for you. See, your worldview is the house that your mind and your soul lives in. And much like, you know, I could walk into our living room of our little house and look out into the world through the big picture window that we had in our living room and see our little garden. We looked through our worldview and examine and interpret the world. Except this house, this worldview house, isn't a physical home or a physical property. It's not made up of brick or siding or wood floors. It's made up of the story that you believe. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Hello, everybody. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. My name's Adam Shaw, and I'm your host, and this is The Restorationist, a podcast where we ask ourselves a really big and really important question. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the 21st century while embodying the heart, the attitude, the doctrine, and the way of life of the first century church? And we're going to do that by looking at big ideas. All sorts of ideas, ideas about life, ideas about leadership, church ministry, and and we're going to try to examine together what it means to perfectly embody a first century approach to living for Jesus and building the church in the 21st century. Today, we've been talking about the story that you believe to be true, and 
We said that story is called your worldview, and it's the story that you tell yourself about yourself and about the world around you. It answers the basic questions for you, or at least poses the basic questions to you and, and, and shapes how you ask those questions. And those questions are like, who am I? And where do I come from? What is wrong? What is the solution? And much like our first home shaped the way that we viewed and lived in the world, the story you tell yourself about yourself defines your reality. Now, this isn't new because the, the, the whole of human history and is hinged on narrative and the human race has defined itself through the lens of stories because stories are one of the most basic modes of human life and all of human life is grounded in the implicit or the explicit stories that humans tell themselves and tell one another. And you understand the stories that people tell, you'll understand how they see the world, because everything is defined by stories, the ones that we tell ourselves and the ones we tell each other. And But what happens when an entire generation's story is broken? What happens if the home they live in is much like my first apartment and not like our first home? It's, it's, it's in a bad neighborhood. It, what happens when the narrative of a whole culture is corrupt and leading to their spiritual and moral decay? I guess here's what I mean. I mean, people have always been lost since Genesis tells us and since the fall of Adam and Eve. People have sinned against God and the world has been filled with people that have missed the mark and fallen short of God's glory and sin and its curse and consequences brings hurt and and death, and decay to the human soul. And as a result, people have been going through things, like bad things, bad things that shape them and define them and alter their perspective, and, because that's part of the human condition. But in North America, there's always been this idea up until, I'd say about 15 or 20 years ago in mainstream culture, much, much earlier in academia, but there's always been this idea of truth that it's real. It's a thing that's, that exists. It's not just created in the mind of the one that believes it or by the cultures and, and by the power structures that, that rule society, that the truth is an actual real thing and that morals actually exist and that they are for the most part universal. And while sin led us to make wrong choices and while we disagreed over what was right and what was wrong, we always up until recently justified our choices by appealing to a moral code and we were either innocent or guilty on the basis of that moral code. But we are now in a place in culture where not only are the individual stories of people broken, but the narrative of our entire culture is broken too. Now, we believe as a culture that as a society, as a Western society, we believe now in the 21st century that there is no story other than the one that you write for yourself, that you don't discover truth, that you determine it, that nothing is actually true 
in and of itself, that cultures just get together and create rituals and rules and, and religious traditions and dogmas as a way of organizing themselves and maintaining the social order. So truth then isn't something, you know, out there to be discovered. Rather, truth is something that we choose or create or define for ourselves. Truth is always inside us rather than outside us. As such, in in our culture today, for someone to make an absolute truth claim is not only unattainable, but highly offensive. So in this new worldview, tolerance means accepting people's different beliefs and therefore refraining from criticizing or disagreeing with those beliefs. And culture is especially bothered by claims that a particular moral or ethical or religious belief is the truth and that all people ought to just accept it and go along with it. And since we're now living in a world where your story is where you find your way of seeing and being in the world, whatever story you determine to be true will determine your morality and ethics, your identity, and ultimately your good and your purpose. And like I said, in in the 21st century, to, to make a claim that only one story is right is to deny the humanity of another, meaning that If my story tells me that these spiritual practices can be borrowed, edited, or adopted, if my story tells me that I have the ability to self-identify my own gender, or that that means you, you can't tell me that I don't have that right. No matter how loving your tone is, this is dangerous. It's intolerant. If my story tells me that my ultimate good is through self-expression and discovery and any, you know, it's an integral part of who I am as a person. Any attempts to hem that in is weird and it breaks the social order and robs people of their happiness. To the power structures of the culture, like education and entertainment and government, political leaders, etc., those that adopt this new cultural worldview, this postmodern or post-postmodern approach to life to claim one story above the other is to dangerously disrupt the social order and that those individuals who do such must be shamed, ostracized, barred from places of influence in the public square and even business because they can't be trusted to function in corporate society. And like all worldview stories, since the beginning of time, values are constantly reinforced through more than just legislation, but in art and in entertainment and viral videos and um, playful Tinder ads and romantic comedies where people first hook up and then find love, dramas where people in power are exposed to shaping the narrative and making absolute truth claims when the underdog revolutionary exposes reality as something more nuanced and complex. And in this world, many of us are trying to follow Jesus, and we're impacted by this new story of our culture. Every one of us. You want to know why so many people repeat the same, you know, dumb mistakes that their parents or grandparents made? It was their worldview, their story was was decayed. Sure, there are spiritual causes. Sure, there are, there are triggers for things. And if you're a Christian, you believe, obviously, that 
the devil's involved, but somewhere at some point, people get trapped in a story that said you'll always be an alcoholic because your father was always an alcoholic or you'll always struggle with anger because all of your uncles have anger problems and they get arrested and, you know, so will you. But it becomes much more complex and difficult when it's not just the individual stories or familial stories that become messed up, but when the broader culture is this do whatever is right in your own eyes as long as you don't mess with anybody else, there is a temptation then for every believer to play a pick-and-choose game with God, to decide what parts of the Bible work for you and what parts of your culture that you'd rather keep. Hypocrisy really isn't a problem in the 21st century. It's considered being true to yourself, living out your own truth. For my wife and I, the problem in that first apartment was the whole apartment. It wasn't the floors, it wasn't the paint, it wasn't the plumbing, it wasn't that the kitchen was too small. It was the entire, the entire place was wrong. The entire building was not conducive for the life that we wanted to live. And as a result, if we truly wanted to change, moving out was our only option. There's a scripture in Genesis that, Genesis chapter 12, verses one through four, it says, now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you and, and you will all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Abram, if he was going to be the man that God wanted him to be, if he was going to embrace this call of God to mission and to purpose, to be this new great nation that would bring the world a savior, he had to depart. God strides into Abraham's life and says, I've got a new story for you. I'm going to make you into a brand new nation. I'm going to give you children as numerous as the stars of the sky or the sand and the seashore. But in order for this plan or this destiny or this purpose to become your new narrative, you got to leave her. See, coming to Jesus and being a follower from him, a follower of him, I should say, becoming a, a, a disciple of Jesus that has a restorationist approach. Some people would call this becoming an apostolic, like an apostle. It's about not just adopting behaviors and practices and incorporating them into your own life as you see fit. It's, it's true life change. It's about moving your mind out of the world story, exchanging worldviews and moving 
your soul into a brand new home. See, following Jesus is not about self-improvement. It's about being reborn. It's, it's not saying, God, I, I want you to fix X, Y, Z in my life. God, I want you to, you know, help, you know, make me think more positive or help me deal with my anger. We come to God at a point of need, but following Jesus is not a gateway to self-improvement like yoga or some other new age mysticism. It's do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Following Jesus from the perspective of a restoration that says, I'm in the 21st century and yeah, I got to make, I got to make this life make sense somehow. I, I got to live for God within a context, but I want to do it with the heart and the attitude and the perspective and the theology of that first century church that, that was right there with Jesus before he ascended up into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit. Being a follower of Jesus is not about self-improvement. It's about transformation. Being a follower of Jesus is not only about affirming certain doctrines as being true in your mind alone. It's about allowing the implications of those doctrines to impact your life. This is why we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's about embracing a change so radical that the way we interpret reality itself changes. See, if we want to be part of Jesus' story, and to those that are listening to this, that you're leaders and you're pastors or you teach or you're called by God to, to move and serve in the local church, if you want to help people become part of Jesus' story, the one that includes forgiveness and power and healing and hope and an actual place in heaven, we've got to be willing to pack up our lives. And those of us that are leaders, we've got to be willing to call people to pack up their lives and all that they believe and move our minds into a new neighborhood and be willing to shed everything we believe that we have received from our culture. Moving is hard. Trust me, I've, it's hard. But the result is that we inherit the promises of God. Our apostolic worldview is not just one story amongst a sea of other stories. The gospel is not just one chunk of good news amongst other religious good news that is out there that people can pick and choose from. We believe that this story is the only story that answers the questions with the truth. And as such, only an apostolic worldview can truly interpret and filter the world as it really is. So my question is, what are some things you think that God wants to change in your story? What are some things that, if you were honest with yourself, that did, did you get that from Jesus? Or uh, did you get that from your culture. What do you do if the story in your life stinks? You get ready to move. You existentially pack up your mind and you get ready 
to change everything. You can bring nothing from the old house with you. It has to stay behind. Next time, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about moving day. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit subscribe. Please like, please share. This is this first uh, series that we're going to be doing is kind of serving as a manifesto to the theory and the idea of the podcast. And after that, we'll be jumping into different seasons. We're going to be doing a season on Pentecostal preaching. And that'll be an interview where we'll be interviewing different uh, well-known Pentecostal preachers and talking about how a spirit-empowered, spirit-filled approach, how an apostolic worldview um, makes preaching different from maybe another religious or another Christian perspective. We're going to be talking about personal life. We're going to be talking about becoming a better leader. And um, there'll be some bonus book review episodes to go along with it. I hope this is going to help your life. If for nothing else, it's going to help me poke and prod inside my own mind and, and hopefully be a more honest, more authentic, more apostolic Christian that seeks to restore the faith, the doctrine, and the heart of the apostles in my own life. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day.